I want to talk uh, this morning, I've been going from town to town in Israel and talking about that town. I'm not sure that that's the way it will continue, but for now it's been working. And this morning I want to talk to you about Nazareth and Sephoris. Now you've never heard of Sephoris probably because uh, Sephoris is uh, not in the Bible. You won't find it there. Um, but it was four miles southeast of Nazareth, or northeast of Nazareth, and um, in our first uh, slide there, um, the map that you're used to seeing, you'll see um, over here is Nazareth, and probably right there at that little point would have been where Sepphoris is, um, just real close within walking distance of four miles away, um, and Sepphoris according to 11th century tradition, was the birthplace of Mary. Now, we don't know any of that for sure, especially when you're talking that many centuries away from Jesus and all of that. But there's been all kinds of sites established where this is where Joseph was and this is where Mary was and all of that. But we know that from church history and it's pretty distant and there isn't any evidence for any of these sites very much the closer you get to Jerusalem. Um, and so that was the, the further away I got from the Sea of Galilee, the less impressed I got with some of the with some of the places and people saying, no, this is where this happened. And then you'd go somewhere else and they'd say, no, this is where that happened. <laughs> so, but anyway, um, I knew I was in Israel where it happened. <laughs> so um, the next next slide is um, this is in Sepphoris. And Sepphoris would have been the large town, um, and this is the synagogue that was recovered, and it's, it's covered with a, a new facility and all of that, but in the center of that is some of the recovered um, synagogue, and it's hard to see in this picture, but you can just see that the, the marble squares were just about a quarter of an inch by a quarter of an inch, and just intricate detail on the floors and all of that. Uh, and you saw that throughout Israel a lot of places you went. Um, one of the interesting things that we saw um, that was surprising to me was that in the midst of the designs uh, on the floor, and you saw this in other towns throughout Israel, in the Jewish synagogues, they would have the menorah and all those Jewish symbols in their synagogues, but beside them, they would have all kinds of pagan symbols. And it just seems so strange and so out of place. Well, I come to find out that because of how many pagan uh, people had come in and destroyed synagogues, they started putting pagan symbols in the synagogue. So when pagans came in to conquer and destroy, they would see their symbols and not destroy the synagogue. <laughs> And, and move on past. But anyway, that and, and there are some pagan symbols of uh, uh, Greek gods in, in this floor and, and all of that. Um, Sepphoris was the chief administrative center of Galilee for the, for the Romans. This was the town where um, Herod Antipas lived. So it was only four miles away from Nazareth. Um, but it was a lot larger than Nazareth. Nazareth was just a small town. Sepphoris was the big city um, in the day. And the next slide is of the theater. And this is just one of the 
five sections. I believe it was five. might have been six. But one of five sections. And this is pretty much... Um, this part hadn't been rebuilt like some of the other sections, but original stone there from way back in the time of Jesus. And then the next slide is actually of the way they've kind of reconstructed the front with the metal there. That would have all been stone. The the base here is pretty much uh, similar to the way it would have been. Um, and, and I've told you before that every Roman town was required, if they were a major town, they had to have a, a theater that seated 10% of the, current, uh, of the population of the town. Um, and so while we were there, we saw Roman um, streets and archaeological remains of Roman buildings, a church, and, of course, that synagogue that, that we looked at. Then we went from Sepphoris which was the big city, and then we went to Nazareth, which is the big city today. And the first place we stopped at, and I just took one picture here, but you can see all the intricate artwork, and this is, again, that is not paint. That is not painted. That is little tiny pieces of marble. All throughout those walls and arches and everything else, uh, you know, the intricate artwork throughout all of that, and um, this is the closer we got to Jerusalem, the more uh, there were all these icons and everything else, and and I actually got so crowded with them. And, and uh, when you got to Jerusalem, that it it didn't strike me as worshipful at all because there was so much of this stuff around. Um, but but for people in Eastern Orthodox uh, faith, that was that helped them worship. But this is the Greek Orthodox Church of St. Gabriel. And according to the Greek Orthodox tradition, uh, there's a village spring um, down at the bottom of this church that actually feeds all the water for the town. Did It's always fed all the water for the town, the day in, in Joseph and Mary, but also here. And the tradition was that the angel Gabriel met Mary at the village spring and announced... Uh, that she would give birth to Jesus. Um, the next slide um, is an open-air market, and I just thought I would throw that in. This is pretty much how you buy groceries uh, throughout Israel, um, out in the open air, and people are just out there with their things. You can see this is down a street, and there's a closed door for a shop there that's not open, but just all the way down, that's the way the shops look. Um, and then the next one is... The another, this is down in the basement level of the Basilica of Annunciation, which is where the Western Church believes that the angel Gabriel came to meet uh, Mary. And that grotto down in the center um, would be the very place where they say that the angel met Gabriel. It would be her cave. Um, and they believe that she lived in a cave called a grotto. Um, so that was her house. And so the whole church has been built over that. Um, the interesting thing on the outside of this church is a big wall, which has a roof on it that sticks out about oh, 10 feet. And all the way around that wall, there are pictures of St. Mary from every nation on the earth. The Roman Catholics have sent a picture of St. Mary from every nation. And so they're all the way around this wall, protected from the weather and rain and all of that. 
And the interesting thing was, and Father Brian even agreed with us, that one of the scariest, ugliest pictures of St. Mary came from the United States. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just thought, I'd, you know, it was just amazing to look at that picture. We thought, who would ever want to be associated with her? <laughs> but anyway, um, the next picture is the upstairs of, of this uh, Basilica of Annunciation. And that that that's just an amazing it's it's so much bigger than you can even conceive and higher it goes levels up uh into the dome um that's an incredible place um and then the the last two pictures are of where I want to kind of focus at today this is the mount precipice it is up 397 meters meters 39 inches so 390, 400 yards up above uh, the ground below. And this would be the place where the people of Nazareth came to try to push Jesus off the cliff um, uh, after he got done preaching that day in their synagogue. And then the next picture is just a little further back so you can see how they finished the stone and all of that uh, for all the tourists to come and see that ledge and that cliff. Uh, where the people would have come. So, I want to have you think today about Nazareth. And if, if you were to look up all of these references in the scriptures that are about Nazareth, um, what you would find is they all refer to Jesus being from Nazareth or they refer to Jesus the Nazarene. And so that's just kind of interesting. That catches my attention. And then uh, down there in Matthew uh, 2, verse 22, it says, And Jesus went and lived in a town called Nazareth, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, there are people that you and I connect with a certain place. When we think of St. Francis... If we're Catholics, we think of St. Francis of... Ah, you even Wesleyans, you even know that. <laughs> okay? When you think of Mother Teresa, you think of... Calcutta. Not, not quite so quick on the draw there. Okay. And Jesus, you think of Jesus the Nazarene. I grew up singing, and we still sing it here from time to time. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. Wow. Isn't it just a little bit intriguing that the Son of God, who created the world, gets a label like Jesus of Nazareth? A little town that didn't amount to anything in the day of Jesus. He owns the world. He created it. And he gets this little label, Jesus the Nazarene. And it's prophesied before he comes that he would be called a Nazarene. Jesus even refers to himself as Jesus of Nazareth at the conversion of Saul. At, at the next screen, you'll see that it, Paul says, Saul says, Who are you, Lord? I asked. And Jesus says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Wow. 
So why is there a reference to Jesus of Nazareth at all? Why is it important that we take note of Nazareth and Jesus' connection there? Well, perhaps there's one just basic social reason, and that is that there were so many boys named Jesus in the day that Jesus grew up. Because Jesus was the um, Greek name for Joshua, the Hebrew name for Joshua. And so a lot of boys were named after Joshua. And so, and they were called Jesus in the Greek. And so there were all kinds of little Jesuses running around. And so they wanted to identify, help identify all these little boys by identifying them with their location. Not just the son of Joseph, but the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And all of that. So that may be one reason. But here's another one. And that is to give credibility to the historicity of Jesus. You see, you can't really ever claim that Jesus never lived. You can claim a lot of things about him if you want. But you can't claim that he never lived. Everyone knows it. (laughs) It's out there. Um, There is far too much historical evidence of it. He grew up and he lived in one place among a certain people at a certain time at a certain place for 30 years of his life. And there's all kinds of historical records that claim that and teach that. And then I think you see the apostles in the book of Acts referring to Jesus of Nazareth for both of those two reasons, to stress his identity, but also to give credibility to who he is. You see Peter, I believe it was, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited by God to you by miracles, signs, and wonders, which God did among you through him, as you, as you yourselves know. <laughs> You've heard the story. You know Jesus. You know Jesus of Nazareth and what he did. And, and all those kind of things. And then Acts chapter 3, Peter says to the, to the man who wanted to um, have a handout from Peter, Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Rise up and walk. Wow. And so he's saying to that man, it is in the power of this particular Jesus of Nazareth that you have heard about. He is the one that we are saying this in. It's not in my name. It's not in the name of Peter that I'm telling you to rise up and walk. It is in the name of Jesus of Nazareth that you know. And then in chapter 4, it says, Then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed today. And so again, the apostles, they connected Jesus with the town of Nazareth on purpose. I think there's probably another reason why you and I connect Jesus with Nazareth, and it is this. That identifying Jesus with the town of Nazareth, the town that he grew up in, establishes for us the value of establishing roots for spiritual purposes. We're going to talk later about the value of picking up and packing and relocating for spiritual purposes. But there is also a value in staying put 
and establishing roots for the spiritual purpose of the gospel going forth where you live. For someone who came to save the entire world. Isn't it interesting that God left him for 30 of his 33 years in one small town that nobody knew about? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, if that had been, if I had been God and I sent someone to earth and I wanted the whole world to know about him, I might have moved him around a whole bunch. And I certainly would have put him in a big, important place like Jerusalem, for instance. But God put Jesus in Nazareth in a place that nobody knew about for 30 years of his 33 years here on earth and left him there on purpose. On purpose. In a small, out-of-the-way place called Nazareth. Now, the first thing that we hear about Jesus as he becomes an adult and he begins calling disciples comes to us from John. And and Philip found Nathanael and told him, he said, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And you, you remember what he said. Nazareth, can anything good come out of there? <laughs> Philip said, come and see. Come and see. Nazareth was that dumpy little suburb of Sephoris. It had a population of little more than 500 people. Historians described it as an insignificant insignificant agricultural village. But I want to remind you today that that little village produced Jesus. Nazareth produced Jesus. This is the place where Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the place where Jesus went to Jewish synagogue every Saturday This is the place where Jesus had godly parents, Joseph and Mary, raising him and teaching him and instructing him every day of his life. That is the town that produced Jesus, the Messiah, who came to save the world. And I want to say to us that sometimes we let comparisons get in the way of what God wants to do through us. By comparison to Sepphoris, Nothing was expected out of Nazareth. Certainly, Nathaniel thought the idea of anything coming out of, or anyone coming out of, of Nazareth, was a ridiculous idea. But God does not want us to limit ourselves based on the comprehend, or comparisons that other people might make for us. God does not want us to think that Johnson Corners has any less ability to produce than somewhere else. God doesn't want us to think that just because we may not be as big as someone else, that God can't do great things here. That is the truth of the gospel. Jesus, God chose Nazareth for his son to live for 30 of his 33 years. So we should never think that we can't produce anything great, but we do have to be on mission and vision as we are going to produce, if we're going to produce anything great. You think of the home of Joseph and Mary and the synagogue of Nazareth. 
They were on mission. Every Saturday they were there with the rabbis and Jesus was there being instructed and teaching and talking to them and all of that. You think of Mary and Joseph at home. They were on mission and vision and they were working with their children, gearing them and teaching them the things of God and all of that. You think of that town. They were on mission because after 30 years, Nazareth, the little insignificant place that historians had ignored, produced Jesus. Well, I've said that. Here's the opposite side of that coin. Nazareth produced Jesus. But it is also true that Jesus put Nazareth on the map. It is also true that Jesus put Nazareth on the map. Today, Sepphoris, which should be a thriving Roman town, is absolutely nothing more than an archaeological dig. You can't even buy a Diet Coke there. That's pretty important, you know. Nazareth is nowhere noted in Scripture except in relation to it being the place where Jesus came from. And yet today it is the thriving big city with all kinds of modern building and all of that. Even during the time of the apostles, people heard of Nazareth who would have never heard of it for any other reason, but they heard of it because Jesus had grown up there. And so that speaks to our citizenship and that speaks to our engagement. If God has placed us in Nazareth, then we need to do everything we can to make Nazareth the very best place it can be. So let us be engaged in using our gifts and our talents and our skills and our resources to to put our Nazareth on the map like Jesus did. And then you see Jesus ready for public ministry. And he has been baptized in the Jordan River. And then the devil leads him into the wilderness for temptation. And the thing that amazed me while I was there, and I can't, can't stray very far off my notes, but the thing that amazed me about the temptation was that, you know, Jesus has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And he is hungry. That's the understatement, because the other thing that I discovered while I was there was just how far the devil took him from the, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem to, you know, way up north in Israel to somewhere else for the different temptations. They weren't just right there within a mile of each other. Jesus walked from here to there and to somewhere else in Israel for those different temptations. Uh, that was just amazing to me as I thought about that. But Jesus had been baptized. He's been tempted by Satan himself. And then he starts his ministry by going back to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spreads throughout the countryside. And then he goes home to Nazareth. And he goes into the synagogue as was his custom. Where had been brought up on the Sabbath day. He went in the synagogue and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found, a, found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. And Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your own hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there are many, were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people, they went from praising him to look at this. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. And he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, in the course of one sermon, Jesus is first praised and then rejected. And not just rejected. It's not like he just got up and walked out of church. It's that you drug me along to throw me over a cliff. (laughs) I mean, that takes some doing. That takes some effort. Um, They were amazed at his command of the scripture and his gracious words. And they were even content with the fact that that, um, Isaiah, that he said the words of Isaiah were fulfilled in him that day. They didn't even get upset about that. How wonderful they thought it would be if Jesus of Nazareth would just stay here in Nazareth and do all of these things from Isaiah, the the releasing of the captives and all of that, proclaiming the good news and healing the blind. If Jesus would just stay in Nazareth and do all of that right here, we're happy with that. We're good with that. We'll praise you and all of that. We'll just be delighted with you, Jesus. And then he goes on in a sermon and he announces that that was not all just going to be done in Nazareth. That he was going to take it to Capernaum. That he was going to take it to Gentiles and pagans and sinners. And the ministry of Jesus would benefit other people who were not from Nazareth. And the Nazarenes wanted to hoard Jesus. They wanted to keep their community resource and they were not going to let him go out. They didn't. If, if, if he was going to leave and do all these miracles somewhere else, they were going to just put an end to it and drive him over a cliff. Because they did not want to share their resources with the world. Those are pretty radical words of Jesus. Jesus does do and say some radical things to us from time to time. And the question is, when Jesus speaks radical words to us, what will we do? Will we allow Jesus to speak some things into our lives, some radical things into our lives, or will we take him out and try to push him over a cliff? Or do we receive those words of Jesus? Do we only offer praise to Jesus when he speaks the nice things and he says what he's going to do for us? And isn't this wonderful what Jesus is going to do for me? 
But if Jesus comes and challenges the way I think or the way I live or any of those kind of things, am I then ready to go out and drive him over a cliff? And friends, you better decide today whom you are going to serve. Are you going to serve a Jesus who has to bow to your every whim? Or are you going to bow to a Jesus who is Lord and King and Master and who has the right to say some radical things in your life? Because Jesus will not be servant to anyone. Jesus is the King of the earth and the Lord and Master of all. And what he says, he says to all and he says with authority. And if Jesus says something radical to me, I need to be able to respond to it and to obey and not whimper around and only praise him for the good things that come along. And it rankled these people. It rankled them that Jesus was going to take his good works and his miracles and go to Capernaum. They wanted all that stuff done right there in Nazareth. Those were radical, radical words. This is when we really know if we have a passion for Jesus. Can he take something away from us and give it to someone else? Can Jesus take something away from you and give it to something, someone else? And if he can't, he's probably not master and Lord yet. Can Jesus say some tough things that make to your culture and to your way of life that are just a little bit off mark? Of what you want. Will you take him over to the cliff. And throw him over. (laughs) Or will you respond to what Jesus has to say. I want us to pray this morning. Janice is going to come and lead us. I give you my heart. And that's really the core issue of the matter. But as we do that. I just want to pray this morning. That God will help us to be good citizens. McKenzie County and this church. To believe that God can produce great things here. But to also ask God to help us to produce young people who love God and serve Him effectively with wisdom and with skill. We need to pray that God will help us not hoard Jesus and not hoard our resources and to be willing to let Him use them anywhere in the world. And we need to pray that God will help us to be responsive to Him regardless of what He says, regardless of what He asks just responsive to Jesus.